Oh, dear God, <clears throat> use me today as an instrument of your mercy and of your peace and allow me to help someone in this room tonight. My name is Milton. I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> I'm here tonight to carry a message of alcoholism as it was and is in my life. But before I do that, before I do that, I know I will never remember to do this later. And that is Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to everybody. I'd also like to thank, uh, I'd also like to thank uh, uh, Jimmy Lee for the fine uh, communication he had and, uh, and the nice room that I got and, uh, and the committee that asked me to come here. And I'd like to thank uh, Kenny for the nice meal. And I'd uh, like to thank uh, my ma for not believing in abortion <laughs> and, uh, and all of that, <laughs> and all of that. <laughs> You know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make any sense that you would ask me to, to do this, you know, to, to come down there, because I'm really not a public speaker. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm not well-educated. Uh, uh, I ain't got good grammar. I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't even know a lot about the big book. I mean, I must not. I still keep reading it. So, so <laughs> it doesn't make any sense that you would ask me to do this if it wasn't but for one thing. And, uh, and that is in 1970, uh, or, or 1971, or it could have been 1972, but whatever year it was that I found out that God had something to do with my not drinking no more, I made a deal with God, you know, and the deal was simple, and the deal was, if you keep me sober, I'll tell everybody how I do that. <laughs> now, the fact that I made that deal sitting in the cell in, a, in, a, in, a, in Ohio Penitentiary makes the whole story amazing. <laughs> because there's no way in the world I could have fathomed this, you understand. There's no way in the world I could have, have foreseen anything like this taking place in my life. I mean, if they would have asked me in, 19, in the early 70s to write down what you want from Alcoholics Anonymous and we'll give it to you, right? Tell us what you want out of life and we'll fulfill that. And if I would have done all of that, I would have cheated myself in my first year. You see, because there's more to Alcoholics Anonymous and to life than I could possibly imagine in my mind. And, and once I turn my will and life over to care of that God, to any degree, he can take me places that I, I couldn't even see. And that's exactly what has happened since I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I, I, uh, I, uh, if I was to ask you, what's your biggest problem? I, I, I don't know what your answer would be, but if you was to ask me, hey, Melody, what's your biggest problem? I would tell you this, if I knew what my biggest problem was, I wouldn't have it. Because <laughs> I'm a doer. See, I'm a doer. If, I, if there's something wrong and I know what it is, I'm going to fix it because I'm a doer. And, you know, I, I just a couple of months ago, I, my dryer broke <laughs> and my washer <laughs> and, and my refrigerator all, boom, all at the same time. And within 24 hours, I had the parts and I was doing it. You know, I mean, I was putting it back together. You know what I'm trying to say? Because uh, I know I'm a doer. You know, I was drinking, uh, I was drinking uh, uh, gin once. <laughs> <laughs> And when I come to, when I come to, I had this guy's tro throat in my hands, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I asked myself this question. How'd this happen? <laughs> Please don't get me wrong, he's not the first guy I ever strangled, and nor was he the last, but I wasn't sure what he had did, or, or who he was. <laughs> And, uh, so, so when I looked over what the problem was, and the problem was obvious, you know, it's that gin. 
drinking that gin, and if I'm a doer and I know that gin's a problem, what am I going to do? Just said, stop drinking gin. That ain't hard. That ain't, I got that part. Boom, that's it. No more gin. And, uh, and uh, I was drinking uh, Canadian Club in Bowiser once. And when I come to, <laughs> I was laying on a kitchen floor uh, uh, napping, and, and, uh, and my gun was empty. <laughs> and there was no holes in the walls. <laughs> And I don't remember squeezing the trigger, and I asked myself this question. <laughs> How'd this happen? <laughs> and, uh, and the answer is obvious, isn't it? It's Canadian Club and Budweiser. And if I'm a doer, if I'm a doer, and I know that Canadian Club and Budweiser's a problem, what am I going to do? Stop drinking Canadian Club and Budweiser. Now, Canadian Club or Budweiser's just fine, but not the two together. There's the problem, you see. There's the problem. <laughs> I was, uh, in, uh, in, 19, in 1969, <laughs> in August, <laughs> on a Tuesday, and, uh, and, and I know this is where half of you were born, so this is, <laughs> this is an old story, because <laughs> I'm an old guy. <laughs> And, uh, and a lot of things change, you know. I mean, you could things, a lot of things have changed since, in particularly in AA, because we're such a small society and it changed so quickly and so drastically, the changes. But, but I, hell, I remember when I first come in AA, the, uh, the men had tattoos and the women had earrings. So, so things change, you know. They <laughs> change. So. What I know was a Tuesday. <laughs> I know it was a Tuesday because in 69 they used to have a thing on television called Tuesday Night at the Movies. And this particular Tuesday they were showing a Magnificent Seven and, and that's a man's movie and I'm going to watch the movie and I got this girl and, uh, and uh, we're going to watch, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, not a, just a special girl. She had uh, finished high school and, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and had a job. <laughs> And, and, and all of her teeth. So this was the keeper. This was the keeper. And, and, uh, and uh, we were going to watch the movie and make some popcorn. And not that, and not that microwave popcorn either, you know. <laughs> and, and you know why. They didn't have microwaves then. So <laughs> it's the kind you put the popcorn in the pot and you, and you have to shake it up. So me and this girl, are, we're going to watch this movie. We're going to... Uh, make some popcorn and and uh, and uh, and the phone rings and it's my brother <laughs> and he says come on out we'll do some drinking and I told him I said I don't want to do no drinking I we're gonna, I got the magnificent seven and we're this girl we're gonna make some <laughs> we're gonna make some popcorn and uh, and uh, and he convinced me <laughs> he convinced me now and and uh, so I drove up to the beer joint and uh, and uh, and. Uh, is there any, are, are there any bourbon drinkers in here? Are there any bourbon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't drink bourbon. I had an affair with bourbon. I had an affair with bourbon. I mean, you could write sonnets about the love I had for bourbon. I, I would, uh, I mean, I really uh, was, in, I was attached to bourbon. And uh, 
You know, did you ever get on one of these couple of dayers and uh, and uh, about the about the second or third morning on this uh, on this uh, couple of dayers, you'd be laying in bed and you ain't quite awake and you ain't quite asleep. You know, you're in that little haze business and and you ain't wet the bed, so you're still in it and you're you're just laying in that bed and uh, and I'd be laying in that bed just dreaming, you know, just kind of dreaming, not thinking, just dreaming. And and some guys dream of cars and guns or something. I would dream of bourbon. I would dream, I would dream of bourbon, that I would be in a bathtub filled bourbon. And when I wanted a drink, I'd just slide down, and it'll hit, come back. That's an affair. <laughs> That's a love affair. I, uh, 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 so I had a couple shooters of this bourbon, and, uh, and I told this girl, I said, <laughs> you might as well go home now, I, I, I'm drinking now. Now, you know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they got a thing in there called a fourth step, uh, called an inventory. They got an inventory, and, uh, and the first column of that inventory is, uh, who's hurt you? Who are you mad at? Who are you mad at? And, uh, and, uh, and I sponsor a lot of guys sometimes, and, uh, and, uh, and I ask them that question, just tell me who you're mad, who you're mad at, and, uh, and real men sometimes say, I ain't, uh, I, I ain't mad at nobody. <laughs> and I believe them. Don't get me wrong. I believe them. I, I really believe that, uh, that that's true. But here's what I also believe. Is that a couple, a couple shooters that had bourbon, and I remember everybody I'm mad at. I remember every, every and, and <laughs> I'm going to get them. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I'll tell you, if you're in Alcoholics Anonymous and you have not worked a four-step, because here's what they say. They say that, uh, they say that uh, resentment is the number one offender, takes more alcoholics back to drinking than anything else, and now it's not the only offender, but it's the number one offender that takes more alcoholics back to drinking than anything else because it shuts off the sunlight of the spirit. God can't get in and we can't stay sober without God. And they give me that inventory and a couple of real good things that they give me that inventory is one is that I, is that I realize that people that harm me were perhaps spiritually sick and I say a prayer and the prayer by the way is not the prayer is for me that guy I be able to give them patience tolerance and pity that I be able to serve the people who have hurt me and that's that's the turnaround of it all when it begins for me and also I realize in that fourth step is that in, in this in this resentment that I create 95 percent of my own trouble I create 95 percent of my own trouble but at this time I had no program and I had no fourth step all I had was a bourbon so I take a couple shooters that bourbon and 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 I'm going to get them whoever them is I'm going to get them and when I when I when I wake up <laughs> I'm in jail <laughs> and I and I ask myself this question come on play with me just a little bit come on <laughs> how how did this happen you see, I don't know how this happened. I ain't got the slightest idea how this happened. What I know for sure is that the night before, I'm sitting at home. I got a girl. I got a movie. I'm going to make some popcorn. We're going to watch the movie. That's all we're going to do. That's what I know for sure. And now I'm in jail, and I don't know how that happened. And if I'm a doer and don't know what the problem is, I do not come up with a solution. It's as simple as that. And I don't know what the problem is. Now, that's August of 1969 and October of 1969, which 
really just right not far from where we're talking. And, uh, and I know it's October because of Halloween. That's the only way I remember because of Halloween. And if you remember in 69, and, and they used to have a TV program called Laughing. And on Laughing, they used to have, uh, there was a guy with a hat on and a wig and a long overcoat. And he used to walk around saying, do you want a walnut? And that's, that, that, that's what I was going to be. That's the only way I remember. <laughs> It was October, and I had a partner named Billy, and he was this tall, and he was going to have the hat and the wig, and we were both going to walk around the party saying, you want a walnut? We were funny guys. We were funny guys. And this is October 1969, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I had a job because I was coming out of work. <laughs> That's the only way I remember I had a job. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and things were kind of pretty good for me. They were kind of pretty good for me. I mean, I was on bond. I was on bond. But that was okay because I was on bond when they put me on bond. And, uh, and that was all right because I was on probation when they put me on boat bond. <laughs> but that could happen to anybody. So, so, so I, uh, things are kind of pretty good for me. And it was a nice warm October, as I recall, because I didn't have nothing on with one of them DP undershirts and a, and a, and a light wool jacket. And, a, and I walk into the beer joint and I must have worked some overtime because they had already started before me. <laughs> which is uh, unusual, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I walked in the beer joint, and, and I looked down at the end of that bar, and, and, and there was a girl at the end of that bar who I had assaulted and battered and kicked all the windows out of her cars and, and all the things you do on Saturdays, and, and, uh, and, uh, and I looked at that girl, and I said to myself, you know, what's done is done. I mean, I paid her off, I paid her girlfriend off, I paid her mother off, I paid her, uh, fixed the car up, I, everything, what's done is done, and I, and, I, and I belly up to the bar. Now, I'm a, I'm a bar fly. Let's clear that up. I'm a bar fly. That's what I do. That's what it is. It's, uh, I, I, it's my, the whole thing is there in the bar. And uh, so I do my little uh, beer joint routine. Move over, boys. First one today. Look out. Step aside. Give me that, uh, let me see, what should I have? Now, they already got the bourbon lined up because uh, they know, you know. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I do that, uh, do that beer joint routine. I throw that shooter down. And they put the water down and I dip my little finger in. <laughs> I mean, if you ain't one of them, you've seen them. You've seen them. Here she is right here. If anybody's parked over here by the pool. By the where? The taper, five bucks, boys. I was just kidding. So I, uh, so I, uh, they're going, two of those guys are going to steal cars. I already know that. <laughs> they ain't had a car their own in years. So, so I do my little bar routine. I do my little bar routine, and then when I get all done taking that shooter of bourbon, I look down at that girl, and I see that girl, and I say to myself, you know, I'm going to throw her out. So I go down and throw this girl out, and, uh, and I don't know about here in Cincinnati, but I don't, in Cleveland, there's, uh, there's always sometimes once in a while there's these guys. I, I don't know who these guys are or where these guys come from. They're some kind of like Charlie Bronson guys, you know. They want to be some kind of hero guys. I don't know what they are, and... You can't do this, and you can't do that, and this is America, and she got a right, and hey, I mean, he, what are you going to do with a guy like this? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, there's nothing you can do. Ooh, shut up. Ah, and then, you, then I put your boots to, the, to them, and, and then I picked up one of these stainless steel stools, and I, and I give them a whole bunch of them, and, uh, and, then I, and then I went over and throwed her out, and her boyfriend, too. <laughs> 
And, uh, and, uh, and when I come back, when I come back, this guy here, this really had to be the toughest guy I, I have ever met in my life because he's standing up. <laughs> and you'll never guess what he got in his hand. A gun, that's right, he got a gun. He got a gun, you'll never guess what he does. <laughs> Play with me, come on, just a little bit. Right, come on. Yes! Yes, he shoots me! <laughs> Guess what I do? Oh, hell no, I hit him again! <laughs> Guess what he does? <laughs> yeah, and then guess what I do? <laughs> it got to be like a little rascal's cartoon, you know. We're back and forth, but him, but I'm, but him, but I'm, and, uh, and, uh, and he hit me here and here, and he caught me once in the, in the forehead, and the blood was dripping down my eyes, and I'd clear my eyes, and I'd pop him, and he'd shoot me, and I'd clear my eyes, and, uh, and then he hit me in the arm over here, and the bullet went up the bone, and it's still in there, as a matter of fact. But at that time, my arm was paralyzed, and I couldn't move it. And I, I couldn't move this hand, and this hand I needed to wipe the blood. And I thought, you know, maybe this fight's over. Uh, so when I, I cleared the blood out of my eyes, he was standing in front of me, and he squeezed the trigger on that pistol, and the gun was empty, and I went outside, and I... And, I, uh, and it was a beautiful night. I'll never forget the moon was full, and it was October, and it was warm, and... The, and, uh, and I, ha I, I have a dilemma because, uh, because uh, I'm losing a lot of blood and the hospital's 18 blocks away and I ain't got no car. And, uh, and it's either run or die. <laughs> and uh, so when I, when I, when I uh, wake up in the hospital, because they very seldom put you in jail for being shot, when I, when I wake up in the hospital, I ask myself this question. Yeah, <laughs> how did this happen? I mean, I walked in not mad at nobody, and 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 then all of a sudden I'm in this kind of a deal, and and it become clear to me what the problem is, is that because all I had done was take a drink. You see, that's all I hadn't even gone to the bathroom. All I had done was take a drink, and I seen for the first time in my drinking career that when I take a drink, my thinking changes. See, i never seen that before. That when I take a drink, my values change. When I take a drink, what was once important after I take the drink, I would, I would die for. And i never seen that before. And I'll tell you a secret. That change had always taken place in me, but I drank past the point of recognition. I drank past the point of being able to see it. A six-pack, a case of fifth, a couple of, a couple of days on a drunk. i never seen that change. And for the first time in my drinking life, i seen that change take place. And if I'm a doer, and I know that whiskey's a problem, what am I going to do? Stop drinking whiskey and it's as simple as that. That ain't even tough. Now it's November of 1969 and I'm in the Cleveland Clinic because <laughs> they're trying to put me back together again. And I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sitting in the Cleveland Clinic and, uh, and, uh, and I'm in there a couple of weeks and the doctor come in who's a personal friend of mine, by the way, because he's had operated on me many times. And, uh, and he's a surgeon, so he knows me inside and out. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and he says to me, he said, Mel, he said, you've lost a terrific amount of weight. He said, we've got to give you some kind of proteins and some vitamins and some milkshakes. And, and like I told you, the guy knows me. And he said, would you, would you like a, 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 some beer? Uh, and since he does know me, he says, you want some bourbon? <laughs> and, that, and I told that doctor, I, I two weeks sitting in that hospital, I said, you do, you want your hospital wrecked. 
Because if you give me bourbon, I go like an Indian, but a couple of beers ain't never hurt nobody. <laughs> so I step out of that hospital with, uh, at the end of November, uh, November, beginning of December 1969 with the idea that a couple of beers ain't never hurt nobody. I cross the street on 105 and I walk into a beer joint and I have a couple of beers, then I have a couple of shooters, and I'm off and I'm on a drunk, and it's as simple as that. And that's just how quick it happened for me. I'm off and I'm on a bender, a toot, whatever you want to call it. That's exactly what happened to me. I'm two weeks into this drunk I'm two weeks into this drunk and something is wrong. I, I don't know what or how, but something is wrong because I ain't eating nothing. I ain't eating nothing. Uh, uh, and that's very unusual for a Pollock not to eat anything. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I bag of chips in a Smoky, you know. I would put ketchup on top of that. <laughs> it's like the breakfast of champions. I could drink a couple of days on a bag of chips in a Smoky or one of them pig's feet, you know, that they get in a jar. Ooh. <sighs> Real men. You know what I mean, obviously. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and, uh, and I ain't, I ain't, I would I would be two weeks into this drunk, and I would come home from this drinking after drinking all day. I'd be so tired. I would I would be so tired that I would lay down with my clothes on because I was too tired to take them off. And I would sleep the whole night through. And I would wake up, and it would be an hour and a half later. An hour and a half later, and I'm covered with sweat. I'm, I'm laying in that bed sweating profusely, and I, I should have never woke up, see. I should have never come out of this drunken stupor, but I did. And, and I don't know why. And what I didn't know at that time was this, is that my body needed a drink. That's what I didn't know. That my body needed a drink more than it needed sleep, and it would snap me out of that sound sleep, and I, and I would pace the floor and, and burn my fingers with cigarettes, and I didn't know what was happening to me. And I'd lay back down, and I'd sleep uh, the rest of the night, and I'd wake up, and it'd be an hour and a half later, and I'd be covered with sweat again. And, uh, and it would go like this, and soon as 5 o'clock, 5.30, 6 o'clock comes, I'd hit the door running, and I didn't have to waste no time getting dressed because I was ready rolled. I had my clothes already on. I'd hit the door running, get a couple shooters in me, and when I would calm down, I would start to calm down, and I would say, something is wrong with this, and then I would drink past the point of being able to do anything about what was wrong. I would drink past the point of thinking or caring, or, or I would just get into that, into that whatever it is that you get into in your brain where you just can't function anymore except to drink some more. And, uh, and when you get on a drunk like this, I'm going to tell you a secret, see. When you get on a drunk like this, there's absolutely nothing at all wrong with thinking. There's nothing wrong with this. But the problem arises when you know it's you. See, there it is. There, there it is. That's where I, 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 I went on for another couple of weeks, and I ain't, if I, ain't, I ain't taking my clothes off. I'm going to bed and sleep, waking up sweating and stinking. And, and when I, I hit the door and I find taking them off, I ain't putting no fresh ones on. And if I ain't they were doing any of that, I ain't taking a bath. And it's not that I didn't have a tub and it's not that I didn't have clean clothes. It's that I needed a drink more than I needed personal hygiene. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. But I knew it was me that was stinking and I couldn't help myself. I just had, I just had to keep drinking. I, couldn't, I didn't have time for, for a bath. I, didn't, I just couldn't take a bath. And, uh, and, uh, and I would be, uh, I would, uh, I would be, it's, it would, it's just got to be where I, I just, my brain would get thick. It got to be where I couldn't think. I couldn't hold a thought. I, I would, I would be lost, you know. I'd be standing there. Was I going in or coming out? Was I getting up or laying down? I mean, it was that kind of position. I'd be, I'd be standing at the bar and I'd be thinking to myself, I got to go to the bathroom and I would lose the thought. I would just lose the thought and then I would look around, co Somebody had wet my pants. I, I mean, I didn't want to live like this. 
But I couldn't help myself, you see. I'm on a drunk. I'm on a roll. I would get so I couldn't think. I couldn't hold. I'd be standing at the bar. I'd be standing at the bar uh, uh, <clears throat> in the position. Now, I used to say I, I drank standing up so that I would be ever alert for danger. <laughs> but <laughs> the fact of the matter was that I knew if I sat down, So I'd be standing at the bar, I'd be standing at the bar in the position and uh, ever alert for danger and these guys would be uh, holding a conversation and, I, and, I, and they'd say, well, what do you think? You know, I knew the answer, but I couldn't get it from my brain to my tongue. You know what I'm trying to say? I knew the answer, so I would rehearse the answer. <laughs> I would practice saying the answer to these guys and when I got it all down pat, when I got the answer down pat, I'd blurt the answer out. <laughs> Well, hell, it's 15 minutes from where they ask the question. See, they're not standing around waiting, and there are three topics away, and they just get up and walk away like... <laughs> uh, wet brain, just soaked up like a sponge. There's bourbon coming out of me. My sweat smelled like pure bourbon. It smelled like pure, like pure alcohol, and I couldn't stop what was happening to me. Here's what I know about being on a drunk like this, and what I know about being a drunk like on this is that I, I, I can't stop it on my own. It's, I have no say-so over it. It ain't done till it's done. When it's done, it's done. I, I can't make it happen any faster. It's not like I could say, well, 11.30, I'll be done at 12. Uh, I just can't do that. I, what usually happens is that I drink until my stomach shrinks because I don't eat nothing. What usually happens is that I, die, I dehydrate and my throat swells shut and I can't drink no more. Uh, or uh, physically can't drink no more, or I go to jail. And that's exactly what happened in this particular occasion. On January the 15th of 1970, they picked me up and they put me in jail in, in an empty cell, and in a whole row of empty cells because they was mad at me, and they, they left me there for three days. <laughs> they didn't charge me because if they charged me, I could get bonded. So they didn't charge me, and they didn't know if this guy was going to live or die, so they held me in there on suspicion. And for three days, they didn't bring me no coffee and donuts for breakfast because they was mad at me. And for three days, they didn't bring me no coffee and bologna sandwiches for lunch because they was mad at me. And for three days, they didn't bring me no coffee for supper and salami sandwiches, the kind with them tiny little seeds in it for supper because they was mad at me. But for three days, they didn't bring me no whiskey either. <laughs> and for three days, I didn't have a drink. And for three days, I, so I sobered up. And after three days, I was sober because I didn't have no whiskey for three days. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and they sobered me up. You know, and, and it didn't cost me uh, $18,000 either. <laughs> so I say if, uh, if you've got a guy who really wants to get sober and he ain't got 18 grand, he ain't got hospitalization, I say punch a cop. <laughs> They'll sober you up. <laughs> or they're going to warm your dumb ass up too. But there's a price for everything, you know. There's a price for everything. Uh, so now I'm sitting in this cell, and uh, I'm sitting in this cell, and I'm sober, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, no, I'll give you this. <laughs> I'll give you this. When you drink like that, I come off whiskey hard. <laughs> I mean, I come off whiskey real hard. <laughs> I mean, four or five, six hours without a drink, and I'm just heaves. I got, I'm throwing up everything, and there ain't nothing coming up, like I told you, but Smokies and Chips, and, and then when you get done with the heaves, you get the runs, and, <laughs> and sometimes you got the runs, and well, yes or no? Yeah, yeah, I realize they don't talk about this in the Hazelden Guide, but I'm telling you that this is facts here. This is facts. And, uh, and when I get done with the run, and sometimes you call it wrong, you be... And, uh, 
And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> was that you, honey? Was that you? That was you, huh? And, uh, and when I get done with the runs and the heaves, I would get the worst part of it all, and that's them got awful dry heaves. And I'm telling you, them dry heaves used to hurt me, man. I mean, I would get into this. You know, I could throw up for 25 to 45 minutes on one sip of water, and you know how hot them pipes are, and you know you got to have a sip of water, knowing that in a very short time, I'm going to start to ratch. I'm going to st- I would damn near convulse with these dry heaves. And there's nothing, see, there's nothing, some kind of foamy, greeny, slimy, but there is nothing. There is nothing, man, there is not sometimes a chunk, but I always thought that was some kind of body part I had loosened up. <laughs> kind of kidney or something, I didn't know what, but the, man, whoo. Whew. So now I'm sitting in the cell and, and, and I'm sober and I'm three days off, off of this juice and I ask myself this question. I <laughs> did happen, yeah. <laughs> you see, and I'll tell you what I seen. I seen that all I had was a couple of beers and it took off on me. I seen that alcohol in any form is something I cannot indulge in. I seen that then in, 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 in January the 15th, the middle of January 1969, 70. I seen that this drinking was a problem and that was the problem and if i'm a doer and i know that alcohol in any form is a problem what am i going to do stop drinking completely that's right absolutely any one of us would do that i recognize a problem i got the solution i'm going to stop drinking it's as simple as that simple as that i drew up a little game plan i walked out one of the things i was going to do is get a job and go to work every day that's two different things getting a job and going to work every day Who's going to get some responsibility and some recreation and all of this stuff? And I stamp out the door and I got these dreams and I got these desires and I got these goals. And, and I'll give you this. I'll give you this. I, I had absolutely no idea how to live sober. I didn't know how to live sober. I didn't know what the hell to do with my time. I was a barfly. That's what I was. That's all that I did. Now I'm sober. But, uh, and, uh, but I'm, I'm like... Uh, like uh, like, like a, go to the Cincinnati Zoo. You got a zoo in Cincinnati? Cincinnati is a zoo. Go to the zoo. Go to, go to the zoo. Oh, not this part of Cincinnati. I didn't mean that. Go to the zoo. Go to where they got the tigers. Watch the tigers in the cages. This is what these tigers are doing in these cages. These ain't happy tigers. These tigers are restless, irritable, and discontented. And that's exactly what I was. That's exactly what I was without a drink. I was restless, irritable, and awfully upset. But I wasn't wetting my pants. And that was a big deal for me. That was a big deal for me. And I'll tell you something else. If I could have stayed sober from that day to this, I'd have never come to an Would have been no reason for me to come so I'm sober a month, I got this job, I got this responsibility, I got all of this stuff. It's a Sunday night, they blow the horn, a couple of the guys outside blowing the horn. Hey, you want to go for a ride? You bet I want to go for a ride, I'll be back. I've round do what guys do, you know what guys do. They smoke and swear and scratch and tell lies. And... <laughs> well, yes or no, I mean, that's just what guys do. We're not under the rocket scientists, we're just enjoying ourselves. Lying. These guys stop and get a six-pack of beer, and they say, you want one of these beers? No, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't want one of these beers. I did not want one of these beers. But I'll tell you something else. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm in a chronic and progressed stages of alcoholism. And here's what I know for sure. 
as an alcoholic in the chronic and progressed stages of alcoholism, there are times when I have no mental defense against the first drink. As an alcoholic in the chronic and progressed stages of alcoholism, there are times that I cannot recall with sufficient force to say no the pain the promise of a day or a week or a month ago. There are times. Now, I know what you're saying to yourself sitting in this room. Right now, you're saying, man, if that's, if that's true, how can he be sober as long as he's sober? Well, the facts of the matter is this. I ain't cured. The facts of the matter is this, is that I, what I have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. That's the facts of the matter. And in 1970, I had no spiritual condition, hence I get drunk. And in 1995, I have a spiritual condition, hence I remain sober against all adversity. Against all adversity, I remain sober. So if that's true, and it is, this is a nice guy if that's true and it is then on a daily basis when I rise myself in my morning and I gotta make decisions I gotta go to the dry cleaners and get my suits I gotta go to the grocery store and get my food I gotta go over here I gotta go over here I gotta do this I gotta do that or I gotta say my prayers what do you think I do? absolutely Absolutely, because everything that I have hinges upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition and my relationship with God and you. That's, I might be dumb, but I ain't stupid. I got that down. I got that down. Simple as that. But and then I didn't have no spiritual condition, and I didn't have no God, and I didn't have no prayer life. Hence, when they offered me that bottle of beer, I drank that bottle of beer down. Simple as that. Boom. Boom. Here's what happens when I take a drink. The drink takes a drink and the drink takes the man. Here's what happened when I take a drink. This is what happens to you and to I that doesn't happen to them. And that something is called the phenomenon of craving. You know, I got a friend of mine in California named Davy Barge. Tells the best disease concept story I've ever heard in my entire life. This guy is 21 years old, married, got five kids. This is a busy man. He's a successful... <laughs> He's a successful drywall contractor, owns his own business, 21 years old. His wife says to him, Davey, go to the store and get me a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, and a dozen eggs. And he says, of course I will. And he goes to the store and gets a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, and a dozen eggs. And on the way home, he thinks he's just going to stop and have a beer. And when he comes to, when he comes to, he's in Kansas. He's in Kansas. And guess what he got in his hand? Loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, and a dozen eggs. He ain't drinking to overcome a bad family. He ain't drinking to escape an unsuccessful business. He's drinking to overcome a craving that only alcoholics get, that only drinkers of our caliber get, the phenomenon of craving that only occurs in our class, and that's why nobody else understands it. It only happens to us, and that means if you've ever had the phenomenon of craving, it's all the all in for you're one of us. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I take a drink, the phenomenon of craving develops, they go home for supper. <laughs> they get up for breakfast and I ain't home yet. <laughs> they go to work and I wouldn't think of it. Now it's Monday afternoon and I'm laying on a bathroom floor. <laughs> and I ain't laying there because it's fragrant. <laughs> I'm laying there because I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm laying there because it's, it's cool. Yes or no? 
laying on that bathroom floor, and I'm telling you, I couldn't believe this had happened to me. There was nobody more surprised that I got drunk than me. I'm telling you that I couldn't believe this happened. I knew I would never drink again because I said so. And I'll tell you what this story is. This story is called a crack in the feet of God. That's what this story is. I had been the power of God in my life, and I believe had I been able to remain sober, I would still be the power of God in my life. Going into the third step of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says this, we must quit playing God. Why? Why? Because it didn't work. Simple as that. If it would have worked, I wouldn't be here. And it's as simple as that. It didn't work. It didn't work. I'm questioning my own power laying on that floor. I'm recanting the events of the previous evening. That means I'm asking myself, what the hell happened? <laughs> I asked myself that question I've been asking myself for years. How did this happen? Let me see. Let me see. It's Sunday night and I'm sitting at home and everything is good so far. <laughs> these guys pull up and I go for a ride. These guys and these guys, these guys stop and get to see these guys. And I see finally what the problem is. I see finally what the problem has always been. It's these guys. <laughs> these guys. And if I'm a doer and I know these guys are my problem, what am I going to do? I'm going to quit hanging around with them guys and it's as simple as that and that's a good decision because none of them was nice guys. Matter of fact, my mom told me when I was 14, she'd say, Melody, quit hanging around with them guys. They're going to get you in trouble. <laughs> by the time I was 17, my mom was telling them guys, the same guys, by the way, keep away from my son. He's going to get you in trouble. <laughs> she knew the truth, but it didn't stop her from loving me. <laughs> So I'm not going to hang around with these guys. Now, there are threads. There are threads that run through each and every one of us. And one of these threads that run through every one of us, whether you're chronic alcoholic or potential alcoholic, one of these threads is loneliness. One of these threads is loneliness. I get up on Tuesday and I go to work and I'm sick and you know the routine. I'm so sick, man, I can't, I can't take anything. I can't get anything. A sip of water. I'm back and forth to the bathroom. You know, man, confused and pale and chalky. And Tuesday I go to work and I'm feeling a little better and I could get... To, I sandwich in and I go to the coffee machine and get one of them things that, that they call a cup of chicken soup for 15 cents, 15 cents. And it's yellow and, and, and it's got green stuff in it, but tell, there ain't no chicken in that chicken soup, buddy. I'm going to tell you right now. And you crush the crackers up in there and you try to get some of it in. Oh, God. Whew. And Wednesday comes Thursday. I'm three days sober now, and I'm telling you, when I hit the door of work, I am back and I am feeling so good. Whoopee ki yo, and I am back. I'm working on the truck, Dom. I'm throwing them hundred-pound bags like they're cotton balls, man. Whew. Whew. New plan, new plan. I ain't gonna hang around with those guys no more. Good idea, good idea. I'm gonna see. I'm, I'm standing to my time clock at 25 after three. I got my time card in my hand. I can see myself doing it now. Man, I'm going to go home and fix something, paint something. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to accomplish. Yeah! Yeah! Get in that car and I drive up 55th and I hit Broadway and I, and I turn in the alley behind Western Auto and I walk in the back of the Hub Cafe and I order a shooter. Never gave it a thought. Not premeditated. No defense against the first drink. I'm telling you, the last thing on the face of the earth I wanted. But you put that shooter down, and I threw that shooter in. It was then I realized I took the drink. 
It was then, after I drank that drink down, and I'm telling you, I'm just like the guy in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I am absolutely disappointed with myself. I cannot believe I'm pounding on the bar. My, oh, oh my no, I'm yelling. I've drank again. <laughs> or something like that. Or something like that. I can't, I don't know why, I can't believe this. I, and you already know what happens when an alcoholic takes a drink, we get something that they don't get, and that's something called the phenomenon of craving. And I got to drink some more, you couldn't have got me out of there with a nuclear warhead. That's the number one thing in my agenda now, not fixing, not accomplishing, not achieving. You see, I'm an expensive drinker. When I drink, I drink up my dreams. I drink up my ambitions. I drink up my desires to succeed. I drink up my manhood. Because when I drink, I'm no longer the man that I want to be. And that's expensive. I drink a couple hours into that beer joint and I'm looking down the bar and ain't nobody in here but rummies and I don't know anybody in here. I ain't got a friend in the world, man. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna do. My sponsor called that melancholy. The big book calls it self-pity. I don't care what you call it. I got wallowing in it, man. I'm all alone. I ain't got no friends. I'm going to go down to the Tremend Lounge. That's where all my friends are. I do my little Broadway walk and walk down to the Tremend Lounge. There's 75 guys in that Tremend Lounge. I went to school with 50 of them. See, I'm a neighborhood guy. I'm still a neighborhood guy. I live five doors from where I was born. There's 50. I went to grade school with 25 of them. These are the best friends I've ever had in my entire life. I left my home for these guys. I left my mama. I left my mama to stand out on the corner in the middle of the world. <laughs> Isn't this great? Yeah. yeah. Stand inside that bar room, these guys shed their blood for me, and I have shed my blood for them, and that's, that's thick, man. That's thick. And I'll tell you what I felt alone. And that's the loneliness that only alcoholics, I believe, on the face of this earth feel all alone in a room full of friends, all alone with your wife, your kids, your husband, your mother. It's not that they didn't care about me. It's that I was, I was so involved in me and my pain and my problems, like I had a callus on my heart, I couldn't feel the love you were offered. Two kinds of drunks nobody likes. Nobody likes fighting drunks and nobody likes weeping drunks. And I spent my whole life being a fighting drunk. Now here I am hanging out of the guy. Oh, He don't punch me in the mouth because he knows all what kind of guy I have been. I don't, you know what? The worst part of this whole story is I don't black out. I wake up the next day and remember every second of that disgusting display of manhood that I had put on the night before. I just, I just, I, I would sit on the side of my bed at six o'clock in the morning. I'd have my hands in my head and I can't believe that I'm coming apart like this. It's no wonder the, the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous is so attractive to such lonely people. It doesn't surprise me at all that sometimes they substitute the program of Alcoholics Anonymous for the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm, I'm, si I, I'm sitting on the side of my bed and I'm telling you something. I, have, I am developing a fear that is incapacitating me. I am developing a fear that, it, that is paralyzing me. I just can't move. I, it's the only way I can explain it to you. You know, I've been in a lot of lockups, a lot of puzzle shops, a lot of jitter joints, and, and you see, see these guys in lockup and they start doing this stuff, just rocking business. Did you ever see these rocking guys? And it ain't a rocking chair. They're sitting there and they start rocking. 
in the air little syllables. I don't know. I miss him much more. I don't want the motherfucker. I don't do what's going on with Joey. And you see a guy like that, you give him a lot of room, you know. A lot of room, because he's going to do something to himself in a very short time. You fool with him, he's going to do something to you. They got a clinical name for this. I read it in the Reader's Digest. It's called a disgruntled postal worker syndrome. That's right. <laughs> he's going to sit there long enough rocking, and next thing you know, he's going to get up and strap on bandoliers, ammunition, machetes, and bayonets, and pistols, and machine guns, and go to work and say, I'm here. Where's the boss? Where's the boss? You read about that guy in California walked into McDonald's, killed 13 people. Hell, I don't like their hamburgers, but there's a, you know, there's got to be a limit to what I'm trying to say. And I'm telling you, that guy was sitting at home doing this. Oh, I'm looking. And here I am now, six o'clock in the morning, sitting on the side of my bed, paralyzed with this fear. I don't know what to do. I start this rocking business. And I'm adding syllables. Oh, look at I'm going to get my look at And I know, I know what this means. <laughs> you see, I know that I'm losing my agates. I know that. And the worst part of the story is I cannot, whatever it is that I have been using to pull myself, I want to stop the crazies from taking place. I can't stop it. I'm losing my mind. That fear has got me paralyzed. Second part of our inventory, they say, that shuts off the spirit of sunlight of the spirit is this fear. They call it an evil and corroding thread. They say the fabric of our existence is shot true and true with it. They say as in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, this fear sets into motion trains of circumstances of misfortune we feel we don't deserve. The hell does that mean? I, I don't know. I, I went to buy a car, a Chevy Caprice. <laughs> Could have been a Malibu, but it was black. And I got this used car guy, we're going back and forth, and I got him down to 1750 dollars You ever notice when you got a used car salesman, you got him? You turn him? Did you ever notice that? What about an oil change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about a spare tire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take that sticker off of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got him all where I want him, just exactly where I want him, you know what to do? I say, anything wrong with that? Hell no, ain't no wrong with that. The next day I wake up, I decide I don't want the car. Simple as that. You know what I say? I say, I tell you, I say to her, I say, call that guy up, tell him I don't want the car. <laughs> what she says to me? Yeah, you got one of them? That's right, you call him. You call him. Me, what did I ask you to do? Why is it every time I ask you to do one little thing to me, you got to get that lip in motion? Why can't you just for what? Do something without arguing with me. <laughs> You're getting to be just like your... Yes! Yes! You're getting to be just like your mother. That's right. And when nothing else works, man, I reach in and pull a hillbilly out. Why don't you stand by your man? Now I have the, the whole house is in turmoil. We have arguments going on, screaming, hollering, vulgarity. Somebody's going to be sleeping on the couch tonight without, without covers. And what's the basic problem? Fear. I am afraid to call. And I have set into motion trains of circumstances of misfortune that I, I, don't, I know I didn't deserve. I mean, there I am, sleeping on the couch. 
asking myself this question. And we all know it's her fault. We, I mean, we know this. And here's the inventory out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Listen to this. Listen to how simple this is. And there are some people who despise as sponsors new people to not work the steps for a year. This is true. I have heard this. Don't work the steps for a year. You're too sick to... Here's the inventory on fear. Ready? Listen. Listen. We review our fears and put them down on paper. Is that tough? I mean, is that too tough? So far, is this like, oh, man, shit. Oh, I got a headache. Oh, I for a year. I mean, <laughs> really. <laughs> I mean, it... <laughs> If I had the cramps, you know? I mean, if I had the cramps. <laughs> and somebody gave me the prescription for the cramps. What is it? Blue ointment. <laughs> and, then, and then someone else says to me, oh man, don't take that for a year. Are you, are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, I got a disease called alcoholism, much worse than the crabs. They've given me for the prescription, and it's called the blue book. Would I wait a year to take that? Here's what it says. We review our fears, put them down on paper, and we ask ourselves why we have them. If they left me there, I'm in serious trouble because I would have to blame somebody for my fears. It's my ma's fault, bad milk. It's my dad's fault, bad drunk. It's my boss's fault, an unkind human being. It's my neighbor's fault, it's my wife's fault, it's a kid's fault. But they answer the question right away. The reason we have these fears is because self-reliance has failed us. You know how simple that is? You know how much freedom is in that statement? The reason I have every fear that I have in my life is because I have depended upon myself to remove it and I remove the fear. Here's the rest of the image, our, our four lines or something. It says we ask God to... We are now done with that section. But I don't have this, this fear is consuming me. The chaos, I don't know exactly what to do with my life. I stand before a judge in April or May in 1970, and, that thing, and he says, I find you guilty of shooting with intent to kill on an officer of law, and I sentence you to one to 20 years in a penitentiary. Put me in the county jail, and I sober up in that county jail, and I sober up in that county jail simply because the day before I went to court, the guys on the corner had a going-away party for me like I was leaving for Penn State <coughs> instead of the state Penn. Sober up in that county jail and two things become quite clear to me. Two things that had never come clear to me before. And the first thing is this. I ain't in here because I squeezed a trigger. I'm in here because I drank. It's a trigger. You know, I've never seen that drink trouble. The second thing that come clear to me is I can't stop drinking. No matter what I try, no matter what I do, no matter how hard of an effort I put into it, I continue to drink. And what that means to me that day sitting in that county jail is this. Is that when I drink, I go to jail. And if I do one, five, ten, or twenty... When I get out again, I'm going to drink again. When I drink again, I'm going to again. And that's what I seen. I had my whole life right here in my hands, and I did not like what I seen. See, I don't mind taking a beating, but not forever. I don't mind being a loser, something that I had never done. There's a magic line in the big book about Alcoholics Anonymous, and that magic line is this, and maybe it's only magic for me. It says there are those who make the supreme sacrifice. And I got a meeting in my house, not an AA meeting, just a bunch of guys lying, reading that big book, smoking cigars. And in the last five years, out of that meeting, five guys have stood up and said, this ain't me, this ain't for me, I ain't one of them, and them steps don't work. Five guys, five guys, 
two of them jumped off the Detroit-level bridge. One of them went in his mama's bathroom, locked the door, and ate a pistol. Rather than fight tunnel. That day in that cell, I did something that was, that was more against my nature than taking my own life, more against my will, I suppose, than suicide. And I say it's the toughest thing I've ever... Here's what I know about God. You want to know what I know about God? This is what I know about God. When I give it up, he shows up, and there ain't no three-day waiting period. That's what I know. Because that day in that cell, in that moment of total surrender, there was a guy two bunks away from me. He's talking to another guy about a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, and he's telling this guy this. He said, man, if you've ever been popped for DWI, drunken disorder, or public intox, join the program called Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was close enough to messenger. I'm not the message. I'm not your God. I'm just a $2 drunk in a second hand. Just like a delivery boy, just like a pizza guy. Drop it off my bone pizza. Do whatever you want to do with it. Big book. My job is to message, to deliver it, and I've delivered that. You've got to do what you want. It's not my job to decide what you do. It's my job to bring it to you, and that's exactly what I've And there is this guy talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm telling you, this story that I'm giving you right now is an example of the grace of God. That's all it is. And I'll tell you why it's called the grace of God is because the guy that's doing talking is a liar. And I know he's a liar because he's a convict. And there ain't no way in the world I should have believed him, but I did. And that's God's grace. Allows me to recognize the truth, even if it comes from the mouth of a liar. That's the grace of God. Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd never been to an AA meeting. I didn't know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. But I believe the man that's doing talking because... Got down to the penitentiary and got into the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and he told me the one thing that I didn't know that, that only a spirit conquer. Now I talked to you about the two things that shut off the power of God and that is resentment. I talked to you about fear in some great detail and the third thing that shuts off the power of God that we inventory is sex. Now about sex. I did an inventory, and, 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 and as I read that big book, it says we draw an inventory, uh, we draw a, a sexual conduct for ourselves in our lives. And I drew up a sexual conduct that was very simple. If she says it's okay, and I say it's okay, about a year ago, I, was, uh, <coughs> I met this girl, and she said it was okay, and I said it was okay, and when we was all done, she kissed me on the forehead, said that was just great, and went down to call the cops. <coughs> now I'm sitting in jail. How the, how did this happen? How? I'm 24 and a half years sober and I ain't even had a speeding ticket in 24 and a half years. I'm sitting in that jail and I don't know. I don't know, but I know this for sure is that anger shuts off the power of God and I ain't getting mad at nobody. I know this for sure that fear sits off, shuts off the power of God and I got this down and I'm not going to be frightened. But I don't know what happened. And there's a guy in Cleveland named Don Cassini who heard the trouble I was in and put personalities like, and just knew that somebody was in trouble and since I wasn't even in America, sent somebody up to, up to talk to me, a rookie by the way, and I'm telling him this story in the visiting room. I don't understand that I ain't dangerous and I ain't done this and I don't want to buy. He said, hold it, hold it. Did you drink? I said, no, I didn't drink, but I'm He said, then if you didn't drink, then take this 12-step program and put it in action. Inventory what you had done. Find out where you were wrong. Make any amends that you got to make and go on with your life because you're a human being who's made a mistake. You're a human being who's made a mistake, and it's as simple as that. And that's exactly what I've done. I went back to that inventory, and I went back to that fourth step, and I found out this. If she says it's okay and I say it's okay, where does God fit in? I got a Doberman pincher with the exact same sexual conduct as me. 
And he ain't never been in jail. See, here's what it says. We ask God for our sexual conduct. We ask him for the power to grow towards that. There's no growth in that. I placed myself in that position, and in that inventory, I found out exactly how I placed myself in that position because I used my sex powers lightly. Oh, so light. What's the big deal? I don't know. What's, I don't know. I didn't lie to you. I told you. It's all I wanted. I don't. I was a tease and a flirt and have always been a tease and a flirt. I have used my sex powers lightly and selfishly and I insincerely. Now, nowhere does it say juvenile but that's exactly the conduct i got in the sixth seventh eighth and ninth grade never changed it never changed it unbelievable i have shut the sunlight of the spirit off simply by that unknowingly not deliberately if i got a regret it's that i have told thousands of people well here's my sexual conduct if she says it's okay and i say it's okay how does that sound and everybody says the same thing oh that's great it's great you want to know once I have done this inventory and come up with a new sexual conduct for myself, the sunlight of the spirit shines into my life like it's never shined in before. And that's the design of this inventory, to let this power come in. I have more freedom than I've ever had before in my life. For the first time in my entire life, I'm capable of a relationship, not destroying a relationship, a relationship of depth anymore. So I've got a new sexual conduct. Want to hear it? Are you going to hear it no matter what? You heard the old one. That's all there is to it. <coughs> if it's not going to be an affair of the heart, it's not going to be an affair of the body. Now, I know you're sitting there saying, so what's so new about that, big boy? I'm going to tell you, it's new to me. I never got it. A sex, is, sex has never been part of a relationship for me. It's been the whole damn relationship. It's as simple as that. I got something now that I've never known before. I'm worth more as a man today. No matter what the price is I might have to pay. This. And if what I'm telling you is very important to me, then I've got to find out if I like her, ain't it? I've got to find out if it's going to be an affair of the heart, ain't it? And that takes something I've never given a relationship before in my life. You know what that is? A lot longer than... What did you say your name was? <laughs> Did I meet you when? I know more freedom now than I've ever known before in my life. I'm a single parent. have been for quite some time. i got three teenage children. I have a 19-year-old son. I wish I had 12 of. I wish I had 12 of this boy. This is my, this is my guy. This is my guy, this guy. He, uh, he finished high school, which is something no one in my family has ever done. All the way back to Poland, no one has ever finished high school in my family. He wants to go. I went off to college. Right out of high school, he went right into college. No one has ever done that in my family. This kid, this kid, I don't know this kid. Do you know what I mean? He, he wants to be a school teacher. He's go, two weeks before he goes to be a school teacher, he sits down and he says, I changed my mind. He said, I like the results of, of service to God. In your life, I want the same results in my joining the priesthood. He goes off to the seminary, goes off, joins the seminary, goes to John Carroll University. He's in the you know, seminary a year, and in the university a year, he pulls me aside. He says, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. I'm going to take a year off to analyze my life. Analyze your life? <laughs> You'll never get to prison this way. You ain't going to get to prison this way. <laughs> analyze 19 years old? What happened to come on with it? Come on, I'm bulletproof. I'm 19. 
I don't know. Nice why do she have twelve is good? I got a eighteen year old daughter. Eighteen year old daughter. She got legs up to here and hair down to here and big eyes. She got great big eyes. She's a beautiful girl, just a beautiful girl. And she's one of them one of them man raised women. You know what you ever meet? One of them strong willed women, one of them, you know what I mean? And she's got a heart as bigger as her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> when I get in her car, when I get in her car, and of course I'm not letting her drive, <laughs> she turns the radio station to my jazz station. She turned 18, she wanted a full-length leather coat for, for her birthday, 18th birthday. I said, well, let's go, we'll go down. Went down to the garment district, and, and she's picking out leather coats. She said, well, what do you think of this one? I said, what do I think of this? Well, why are you asking me what I think of that one? you got to wear it. What I think is not important. Why bother asking me? She says, because you are a sharp dresser. Now, I don't care if you think I'm a sharp dresser or not. It doesn't even matter if I think I'm a sharp dresser. I have an 18 daughter in 1995 that has respect for her father. When her girlfriend's mother died when she was 17... She stopped me and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave you now in our home, 17, for three days. And I'm going to go to their house and wash their clothes and cook their meals so that they can grieve properly, 17. An unselfish girl. I have a 15-year-old daughter who I'm sure will make the penitentiary. <laughs> she turned 15 and, uh, and things started growing out and curves started happening. She said, I'm running away from home and it's your because you've given me everything I've ever wanted. You've never said no, and you love me too much. It's your fault. A month and a half later, she come back. She's got a throat infection, a urinary tract infection, and two venereal diseases. And she said, maybe I was wrong. Want to know what I know about raising little kids like that? Leave them alone, and they'll come home. Now, I sponsor a lot of people, and some of the people I sponsor don't always remain sober. I know you might not believe that. My 15-year-old daughter, I get a call Saturday. I get a 15-year-old daughter. I get a call from one of these people who I sponsored who's, who is, has an, is an entrepreneur. He, he's running a crack house up in, the neighbor, in another neighborhood. He said, your daughter, your daughter was just in here doing that crack. I said, okay, thanks a lot. I said, here's your choice. Get help or get out. I don't have a problem. I said, put your shit in a bag and go. Because you've passed the line. I see the devastation of this crack, and it ain't going to tear apart my home. And that's what I know for sure. She was in treatment the next day on her own. It was behind him. Here's what I know about raising kids. You want to know what I know about raising kids? It's this simple. When, I, when my first child was conceived, I, I don't mean in the back of that car, I mean when I knew, when I knew that I was going to have a child, that I was going to be a father, I made a deal with God, and the deal was this. I will take care of this child if you give me the power. I'll be the best father that I can be. I owe my children every penny I make. I owe my children every time, every second that I have. Confirmations, basketball, football, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts. I owe my children that. I owe my children every prayer I can offer up. What I don't owe my children is my peace. You see, there's no hollering, there's no hitting, there's no swearing in my house. Because if I give them my peace of mind, that shuts off my relationship with God, and then I get frightened, and then I get angry, and then I'm going to hurt somebody then I'm going to hurt somebody. 
But for right now, I owe them nothing in my peace of mind. I owe you nothing of my peace of me and God. And as long as I hold that near and dear to me, I can remain happy. There was a little girl that went to Europe, and while she was in Europe, she visited all the cathedrals. And as she was going through the cathedrals, she asked the people who, who, who were on the... Uh, uh, the people asked the guide who the people on the stained glass windows were and the guide told her that the people on the stained glass windows were the saints and when she got home and everybody asked that little girl what she'd seen while she was in Europe she says I've seen the saints and when they asked her who the saints were in her innocence this little girl said those saints let the light in and I say this to you in my innocence because man I got it you people in this room and Alcoholics Anonymous throughout and particularly at the Newberg group let the light in for me because all that I have and all that I am and all that I ever hoped to be, I got from you people 25 years and, f- and one day ago. Thank you. God bless you. Happy New Year.